You can do Nayania Baria, Nayania Manania Manania. You can do Nayania Baria, Nayania Manania Manania. From the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council, this is the A Cup and a Yarn podcast. Welcome back to our podcast, A Cuppa and a Yarn, brought to you by the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council. I'm Michelle Alexandrovics Lovegrove. It was 1986. A 22-year-old man busily filled in a membership form at the Murren Bridge Local Aboriginal Land Council. Craig Cromlin had been a part of the community since childhood and was keen to join the new land council and make his mark locally within New South Wales' new Aboriginal Land Rights Network. Little did he know, but signing the form that day sparked a passion that would ultimately see him represent his region nationally and internationally, as well as in New South Wales itself, as a councillor with the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council. Craig Cromlin has been a councillor since 2007 and has decided to leave that role and move forward in a new phase of life. I hope you enjoy this episode of A Cuppa and a Yarn with Craig Cromlin. Hello, Councillor Craig Cromlin. Welcome to A Cuppa and a Yarn. Thank you very much, uh, Michelle, for inviting me to come along. So with this uh, series that we're doing, we go back and we start at the beginning. So you, Councillor Craig Cromlin, your family, I usually ask people, um, who's your mob? On my mum's side, her uh, uh, um, maiden name, she was Bridget Johnson, um, born to parents John and Bessie Johnson. Uh, and then uh, she met uh, a, a chap um, that came out to Murren Bridge when she was um, fairly young, um, oh, old enough to get married anyway. Uh, he was originally from around the Coffs Harbour Grafton area, a fellow by the name of Harry uh, Cromlin. There'd be many mob that are from up that way, so, um, and I knew no, some of them, not all of them, I haven't met many of them. Um, and they started a family out at Murren Bridge and that's where I live to this very day. Got uh, uh, three siblings, one of them I've passed, but uh, uh, eldest brother Rod, uh, Greg, uh, who's uh, the, the next oldest um, who's passed. Um, then there was me and my uh, sister Rosalind. Um, and uh, yeah, they've um, spread to different parts of the, the countryside, but um, yeah, that's our mob. And then, so on my grandmother's side, she's a king from the Nyampa tribe. And then on my grandfather's side, he's uh, a Johnson, obviously, and he's Wiradjuri. Um, and I identify with both of them. I can't not do that, although, in fairness, I've learnt more about my Nyampa side because of my nan's um, siblings, their sisters and our, our brothers that were speaking the language in Murren Bridge. Unfortunately, my old uh, grandfather passed away when I was 14 and I didn't get a chance to um, learn much about his culture. But he used to tell us a little, little bit of stories and, and that was good. Gave us a bit of a insight to the world that he grew up, which was very different to the world that I grew up in. So the world you grew up in was at Murren Bridge, but Murren Bridge even these days, it's a pretty small place, isn't it? Very small place. Um, first set up around 1947. My mum was actually born 
on the banks of the uh, Darling River at uh, Menindi Mission. Uh, her grandparents, uh, which is my great-grandparents, uh, moved from uh, a, a little Aboriginal settlement or reserve or tank, as they were back in those days, uh, called Carrara Tank, moved to Menindi Mission. That's where she was born. And then at the age of eight years of age, Murrumbridge was built. She moved to Murrumbridge with her mum and dad and um, started a new life. Um, and so um, that's been home. But my dad was killed when I was two years old, so I, I don't remember much about him. And my mum raised uh, me and my siblings, my brothers and two brothers and sister, pretty much on our own. Um, She's our biggest influence, uh, our rock that we look to and our inspiration, all of those words. Took us to West Wyland for a couple of years between uh, 72 and 73. And as kids, we, we just missed everything about Lake or Murrum Bridge. So we sort of bossed mum to take us back home. <laughs> and we moved back home in 74. I started school there. Uh, she bought a house in Lake Ajelico. It's where we grew up. She sold it many years after. But I, when I left school, left, moved out to Murrumbridge and um, uh, started my adult life out there. Um, got exposed to a lot of things, including governance, where I am today. So in terms of Murrumbridge, uh, you know, as a place, as a community, and I've heard... You know, you talk about Lake Kajelico quite a bit, just in conversation, but it does crop up a lot, and that's something I've noticed in the time that I've known you. Can you give us a bit of an idea of what it was like being a kid there at the time, at, at the lake in Murrinbridge, you know, a small newish community? I, I guess my earliest years at Murrinbridge was um, we, we used to have a mission manager there, and so I sort of grew up at the back end of it, um, mm -hmm. from my recollection um, and I think he finished around 70, 73, 74, 75, something like that. He left Murrumbridge and we were then left to our own devices um, as a community um, and that gave way to a new future I guess and, and the community started divide, uh, deciding on which way they would like to go. I grew up in Lake Angelico, which was a, I guess at times it felt like a bit of a world away. When you're on the Murrum Bridge, you, it seems like that's your world, and then when you're in Lake Angelico, you see things very different because you've got, you know, the, the broader community, you've got Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal, and so you had to deal with some things that were right in your face, which was racism, and, and it confronted you, but then you also got to learn some things that we wouldn't ever have had the opportunity if we were on Murrumbridge. Um, and some of those things were, were good and bad. It helps to shape you as a, an individual going forward. In terms of growing up, so you're the third of four children, and, uh, well, the third boy and one girl, right? Yep. Um, any, you know, sort of childhood memories with your brothers or your sister that sort of stands out? Oh, yeah. <laughs> a few, huh? <laughs> Uh, I guess me and the, uh, Greg, Greg, we, I don't know, we, we seemed to out that way. We had all of our nicknames were 
ended with an O, so my brother, eldest fellow, he's Rod, so he became Rodo. Greg, he became Grego, and you were me, Crago, so I'm Crago, and I respond to what about that most si- of the... Uh, Rosalind, she was just Rosalind. Okay. <laughs> they were too um, scared to call yeah. her Rosso. Um, me and Greg, we, we got up to all sorts of mischief as young fellas, but we also uh, experienced life. We used to go rabbit hunting. We used to go hunting for a lot of things, actually. Um, uh, we knew how to we dig our own bundies. We'd go out and hunt our own rabbits with a bundy. We were really good at hunting. Um, we had good hunting dogs, so we used to go out. And I was, I was in second, third, and second class. I used to go out with boys. I used to drag my feet along, and they'd always clip me on the ear. I'd make sure I kept up with them. But you know, you had wonderful memories of doing stuff. And I still, I used to take my grandkids out and show them how we used to go hunting rabbits and um, how we dig our own bundies and you know look for quandongs and stuff and showing some of the kids about that sort of stuff today. Even when we used to go fishing as kids uh, with the old people, they'd take us and sit us on the riverbank and that was a, a wonderful experience. But we got up to a lot of mischief, me and my brother. The older fellow, well, he was um, he's five years older than me, so he started um, uh, reaching that uh, teenager years and he distanced himself and sort of went with the, the bigger one, but always very protective of, of uh, his younger uh, siblings. Um, and... The sister, well, what we used to do was we used to be a bit of a terror and uh, uh, with the sister, as you can imagine, um, do a lot of play acting and uh, and I've uh, become a, a, a bit of a drummer in my time and that sort of started when I was in fifth class and so I used to play the chairs and they can always remember me playing the chairs, ripping the chairs because I used to play, play the chairs as a drum with the <laughs> mum's knives and she'd always get upset so Craig you ripped my chairs again <laughs> but I'm playing drums today on real drums and I love it that started from that but yeah wonderful memories of um, uh, of growing up but what I've got to say is my mum she she was pretty strict with us give us a bit of a clip under the clip ear clip under the ear if, if, if we needed it but she taught us respect and um something that has never left us. We've always been very mindful and respectful of whomever and wherever. Mm. I guess though with, with with your father not being there, you gotta be strong. She had to be strong. Oh, she was she was as strong as anyone that you'd ever know. And there are a lot of things that we didn't know about where she would defend our honour and we didn't know if we mucked up or, and if we did muck up we get clipped under the ear roll and she told us right from wrong and but she would also defend their very honour. Uh, we had uncles that would always check in on us. Um, there was a guy that used to play music with my um, old man, and I'm actually playing music with him. He's been playing for going on 60 years, and, and it's a wonderful thing that I thought I was going to be a guitar player until I discovered, um, excuse me, if you remember the band Sweet, mm, they sang... Um, I do. Fox on the Run and Peppermint Swiss, well, Ballroom Blitz and the beat that the drummer played. From that day on, I wanted to be a drummer. And um, so I get to play with Lindsay, who is a, who's also happened to be my stepfather-in-law, so it's, it's wonderful. And he's a lovely man, lovely man. 
You're listening to A Cuppa and a Yarn. I'm Michelle Alexandrovitz Lovegrove and I'm speaking here with uh, Craig Cromlin, Councillor Craig Cromlin for the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council, who is uh, retiring, I guess, aren't you? I've learnt in my time of 30-odd years of being involved with governance that leadership is, for me, this is my personal view and not necessarily mm. what I force upon others. I've learnt with leadership you've got to know when to step forward but just as importantly, you've got to know when to step back. And the choice to step back is mine. And I based it purely on the fact that I want uh, the network to remain vibrant. I want it to remain moving forward and, and, and new and fresh ideas coming on board. I'll be forever a supporter of land rights at the uh, highest level, uh, very much supportive of whomever wins the election in our region and supportive of whomever are our councillors that will take us forward, certainly of our local land council. So I've been afforded a, a wonderful opportunity by the, uh, the region, which is the Wiradjuri region, and certainly by my people back home in my local Aboriginal land council. And it's great to be able to step back and allow someone else to come forward and take it to the next level, because it never was mine. It wasn't mine to, to hold, it was someone else's before me, someone else's before them. And like uh, that situation, after this next person is elected, either they will be re-elected or someone else will take it up. And I've just learnt that you, you know when time's right to, to back away. And I know. On a cuppa and a yarn, we'll be back after the break. Make your mark on November 30. That's election day for the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Rights Network. Members, just go to our website at www.alc.org.au to find out how to lodge a postal vote and how to vote on the day. This is a cuppa and a yarn from the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council. I'm Michelle Alexandrovitz Lovegrove and I'm talking today uh, with Craig Cromlin, Councillor Craig Cromlin. Um, about life, memories and uh, your, your work certainly in governance and land rights and, and uh, what the future holds for you. I was doing a little bit of research on you, as you do. I saw here cotton picker, carpenter, welder and uh, certainly work that you did in establishing Australia's first and only Aboriginal winery. But let's talk about the, the car, being a carpenter, etc. Was that, you know, you were basing that sort of business in Murrumbridge, is that right? Back then they were doing a number of pre-apprentice uh, courses around the countryside and they were fantastic courses uh, and I can absolutely vouch for that. And what it meant that you'd leave home and you would be placed in a hostel for, for a period of probably about 11 uh, months of the year and you would apply your apprenticeship back then. In 82, I was successful in, um, to be uh, accepted into uh, a course. Originally, it was going to be down in Granville TAFE. That's where I got accepted into there. I said, oh, I didn't want to be in Sydney. Um, is there another place that I can go to? And there just happened to be someone who was out in Dubbo who didn't want to be out in Dubbo. They wanted to be in Sydney. so. It was a perfect swap and I went to Dubbo. Me and a, a, a mate, very good mate from home, we went there fortnight or so. Pretty tough. First time I'd ever been away from home. First time I'd done a lot of things on my own. Um, 
you know, up until then, it was everything I did was with with my mates, with my family, um, and certainly, Mum did everything for me. I was, uh, um, although I could cook toast and cook a few other things, and learn to iron my clothes, because Mum taught me how to do those things. And this was more than just about um, learning a, a skill around carpentry. It was giving me life skills and. Um, I kept ringing up mum, I said, can you come and pick me up? I want to go home. Yeah. And thankfully, she, the car wasn't good enough. She had an old Ford, uh, sorry, an old Holden, white Holden, that wasn't in the best of shape and she couldn't come and pick me up. But she kept saying to me, no son, you've got to stay there, stick it out. And mm. I used to ring her up and ring her up and then all of a sudden I started making mates and I started getting used to, and that was something that I'd never done before. I never had to make mates because I grew up around them and so mum rang me up it was a bit of a turner and she said son what's wrong I said what, what do you mean she said you're not ringing me up I said oh mum I'm, I'm loving it she said oh you must be because you're not ringing me so and and so <laughs> I got too into much, um, and, not and so, enough. yeah and so the course was really good we built two houses um, in Dubbo while we were there but we did everything um, from uh, you know uh, building our own prefabs, uh, they weren't uh, built off-site. We had to put them all together. We had to learn to uh, dig the trenches at first, but most of the things we did, we did by hand. There was no electric uh, tools on site. We had to cut everything by hand. And I left home as a 17-year-old. I turned 18 up there, and I always say that I left home as a as a boy, and I came away a man. But mm. not just any old man. I became an independent person someone who didn't require to be one of the mob when I got back home. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to, I became my own man or my own person out of, a, out of that. Um, and um, so carpentry was always a, a passion and still is a passion that I like today. How did uh, that go with your mum? Because as you were saying, you, you're coming back in, you know, as a man and certainly moving into the man that you would become further as you as you grew did you start looking after her maybe a bit more I think I did I, <laughs> I know I lived with her for a little while before I got with my partner and we then started our own life together mm. Um, mm. Um, and I still go and check on her now and then. she's now 80 years of age uh, lives on her own but just a couple of houses over from me and uh, being a counsellor means you're away from home a fair bit so I I, I do call in there and have a yarn with her, I cook her a meal and I'll take some stuff over there, but I've learned to, to, to take care of her whenever I'm home. This is A Cupper and a Yarn. I'm Michelle Alexandrovix-Lovegrove. I'm speaking with uh, Councillor Craig Cromlin. Make your mark on November the 30th, the election day for the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Rights Network. Members, go to our website at www.alc.org.au to find out more information. So, Councillor, I only recently found out about this and I'm, I'm sort of tickled pink, is about Murrinbridge Wines, the winery. How did that start? Well, CDP for us started in 1987. It was a wonderful program that actually was the only thing that we had up until that time. Uh, we had nothing. The community was almost at rock bottom and the people that were at DAA at the time came over and had 
numerous amounts of cups of teas and community barbecues and they said we need you to set up a, a, a committee to uh, take on this new program and it was a godsend for us it saved their community it gave us the opportunity to design our own future it gave us uh, security it gave people in the community power uh, and I'm not talking about um, power where you're excluding people it gave us you got to remember back in, in, in them days when we were doing business we had no power we walked into shops and they could dismiss us uh, just like that at the drop of a hat uh, because we were Aboriginal we had the power of money CDP gave us the power of money and we walked into shops and said well either you want to do business with us or you don't if you don't we'll take our business elsewhere and for us that was one of the best things that ever came out of it. Um, it taught us a lot of lessons along the way. CDP was basically whatever the community wanted to do. So Murrumbridge Wine started from a market gardening course. Mm. We'd done that for about eight years. Uh, we chopped and changed and had modules uh, taken from different various courses to suit our needs. It was the first, one of the first occasions where TAFE actually change their, their training and teaching methods to bring the programs out to the community, sit down and work out and, and, and get achieve the same objectives. And Murrumbridge Wines is proof we made that work from uh, practical uh, work. We did have to learn, uh, do some theory around um, uh, the chemical usage, which was necessary, but everything else was pretty much practical, hands-on, uh, approach and the results meant that we still got the same objective or outcome. Just out of curiosity, did you keep any bottles of wine? Have you got any hanging about? Unfortunately, we don't have any. And I do know that some of those people that got in early still have some of the wine available, which they have been reliably informed that they're not opening at all. Uh, and it's it's a keepsake for them. And people might look at it and say, well, it's not running now, so therefore it's not a success. But see, I regard success in, in different manners. I think to take a group of 16 guys, and there were 16 guys involved, um, and I was only but one of them. I, 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 I'm not the catalyst. I, I'm one of 16 guys that were involved. And we took an idea from the Italian TAFE teacher that um, is a fourth generation grape grower himself who suggested the initial idea. I mean, initially we said, get out of here, don't, you don't want blackfellas making uh, wine, you're not growing grapes, that sort of stuff. He said, yeah, it's unheard of, it's never been done before. Uh, but we took that idea um, and made it work. Um, incidentally, out of the 20 acres that we had put aside, there were over 10,000 grape vines that went into that vineyard. We grew every single one of those grape vines ourselves. Grew them from scratch. None of us had set foot in a vineyard before, let alone uh, grown our own grapes. We put all the posts in, we trellised everything. Trellis means that you get the young vine to grow up a string and onto the wire and then you trellis them out. We grew every single one of them ourselves. The fact that it, 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 it fell over wasn't because of their lack of efforts and, uh, and their commitment to it. It was other outside influences that 
had a detrimental effect on it. Oh, what a wonderful story, though. Hey, what a wonderful thing, an Aboriginal vineyard. And, uh, you know, who knows? Given weather, conditions, ever thought about reviving it? What it taught me was that anything is possible. Yes. Um, that if you believe in it and you're willing to work at it, that you could make anything happen. I used to say to myself, well, that's not an Aboriginal business. And I thought, well, stop there. An Aboriginal business is whatever an Aboriginal person wants to do. So we started pigeonholing ourselves so it should be, you know, to do with art and it should be to do with culture. But it doesn't have to. You can incorporate those things into your business, but it doesn't have to be necessarily around it. And whenever our, our slogan, of which I used to be the um, uh, promoter and salesman type person within the, the, the operation. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we came up with a catch cry and I, I had a bit of uh, outside uh, help with this. Was Our little catch cry was, if you like red wine or white wine, try black wine, Australia's first and only Aboriginal wine, which was Murrumbridge wines. And to this day, it's still on the lips um, of other people. They ask about it quite regular. And it did fantastically well, considering that we had no experience prior to it. We had a, a, a production company come from Canada. Uh, they were called the Thirsty Traveller. Travelled all the way to uh, Australia to do a story on three wineries. One from the Clare Valley. One from the... Uh, sorry, there were four. One from the Hunter Valley. One from Griffith, which is Yellowtail, which is a hugely successful vineyard, um, and we were the fourth one. And in every one of those other three, every time they told the story, they each said, our, our family's been involved in this for decades. And they come to Murrum Bridge, he says, how long have you been? And they said, we've only been involved for four years or five years. He said, so we can't claim to be involved, uh, you know, have decades of wine experience behind us, but we're not selling you wine. That's not what we're about. You want to come here, you're going to learn about our community, you've got to learn about our culture, our people. The story uh, just happens to be that we've got wine. We cooked him Johnny Cakes, he went and swam with the kids in the river, we cooked him uh, a, a kangaroo tail. He says out of all of the experiences that he went to, the Clare Valley, Hunter Valley and, and, and over at Griffith, he reckoned ours was by far the, the most pleasurable and interesting uh, place that he'd ever been to. And I thought, wow, that's great. Great endorsement. Mm. So, again, you know, um, I, I'm still of the belief to this day that anything is possible. I've never shifted from that, that belief that we can be whatever we want to be uh, if we're prepared to work at it. You're listening to A Cuppa and A Yarn. I'm speaking with Councillor Craig Cromlin. And um, after the break, we're going to be talking about land rights. From the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council, this is A Cuppa and A Yarn. This is A Cuppa and A Yarn from the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council. I'm Michelle Alexandrovics Lovegrove. I'm speaking with Councillor Craig Cromlin about life, family, inspirations and now of course land rights because that's um, that's well, certainly how, how I know you councillor. We were discussing some of your career ventures in Murrinbridge wines etc but you were 
already a member of your local Aboriginal Land Council, which was Murren Bridge. That's right, isn't it? You know, you joined at quite a, a, a young age. I was around 21 years old um, when I first became elected. And I was a chairperson at around about 21 or 22 years old. Of the LAUC, Of yep. the local Aboriginal Land Council. Um, so my involvement, yeah, goes back a fair bit. Um, I must say, back then it was very different because I had hair. My clothes size was a, a <laughs> hell of a lot thinner back then. How did you sort of move from that, you know, you're doing all this other stuff on the side, life is happening, right, but land rights is happening too. How important for you in Murren Bridge was it that you stepped up into those leadership roles in that movement? You've got to remember in, in, in our, these little communities, remote communities, and Murren Bridge is certainly one of those, it's a... Uh, uh, nearest community to us is 15 kilometres away so we're right on the banks of the Lachlan River uh, thousand acres all to ourselves but not a lot of opportunity and um, if we didn't seize the opportunities of being a part of a committee and being a part of an organisation I, I guess if I use an analogy I've learnt over a period of time that have an organisation or a, 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 an entity is only a vehicle and what it needs is people to drive it and they're the people that sit on the boards um, whether they're chairperson uh, back in the days it was chair, secretary or treasurer uh, on the land councils but whether it was in an organisation they may have been similarly you had a chair or deputy chair or vice chair or what. Um, again they, they require people to drive it and we had a guy come to Murrumbridge in 87 it was. Um, he was an advisor, community advisor, and he spoke to me at the time I was a chair of a, an organisation. I was reluctant. I could see him walking down the lane, I was shaking my head thinking, I don't want to have this conversation, not now, not, not at this point in time. He came up and he introduced himself and I didn't shake his hand initially. I said, look brother, I know who you are. I know why you're here. He was a non-Aboriginal person too, by the way. I said, if you don't mind, I'm having a drink with my family and friends. Uh, can you come back on Monday? And he said to me, Craig, do you have a family? And I, that's what I, I knew he was going to ask that. And I said, I knew you were going to ask that. He said, well, do you? I said, yes, I do. And I thought, my God, I know what he's going to say next. And then he said, um, do you want to give him a good future? And I said... I knew you was going to say that. With that, he just shook my hand. He said, I'll see you on Monday. Have a good weekend. Enjoy your oh, And I thought... That was well. clever. And so when Monday came along, I was chomping at the bit, waiting to see him. He said, how are you going? I said, I'm good. Uh, ready to do this. And then what he... He didn't do anything fantastic. He didn't give us any. He just sat us down, told us how to run our meetings, how to... Um, um, control community meeting, board meetings, um, interact with the agencies when they used to come along. Because here I was as a young fellow, raw, didn't know how to do any of that. But he taught us. He never did it for us. He sat us down and he said, this is how you go about doing it. He left us in three, three months and it was the best three months that we've ever, ever had. Um, we decided we'd take on the community and run it ourselves and it was, we never looked back. From that day, we never look back. Everyone has got family. If it's not your own, it's then your siblings or your friends or whatever. So there's your inspiration. 
And if you want to give them a future, well, again, there's your inspiration. That was my inspiration. It's always been my inspiration about doing those things. And governance gives you the opportunity, a wonderful opportunity, to be able to do it, whether it's in your land council, local Aboriginal land council, and now I've had the opportunity at the highest level, which is as a councillor of New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council, to do exactly that same thing, but not just at, from a local perspective or a regional, but from a state perspective. When was it that you said, OK, I'm going to step up to that state level and I'm going to run in the elections? In, in, in around 2005, I think it was, I, I was elected delegate from my local Aboriginal Land Council. We, we still had the, the regions um, that were operating. I was elected one of the two delegates from my region to attend the region. And I went over and I started getting involved and you can go over there and you could, you know, just twiddle your thumbs and, 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 and be there. And But I wanted to ask questions and I I, I guess CDP and, and, and the wines thing taught me about we can take this wherever we want. There was one at that time that the regions were going to be shut down and people were just going through the motion. I didn't particularly want to do that. I, I wanted to go over and say, well, what can we do in the time that we have available to make it productive? Mm. Um, so I've always been someone who takes a positive from a negative, whatever the situation. The chair that was currently there at the time had to resign because of a new um, uh, uh, employment opportunity uh, came up for him um, and then we had to go to election so little did I know that when when we have an election um, I turned up because uh, I was tormenting the, the other delegate that went with me I said I'm going to nominate you to be the chair um, little did I know when I turned up that all the other delegates had already met and they'd have a conversation and they said we're going to elect Craig and there'll be no one else so I was elected unopposed. So oh, okay. So this was the, the regional Aboriginal Land Council. Regional councils. Aboriginal Land Council. Okay. That was my first step into regional. Uh, I was being involved at, at the level within the, mm. the local mm. uh, the, the land council system. And I had probably about four or five months involved in that before we went to elections. Um, I didn't get re-elected as a delegate from my local land council, so I couldn't be re-elected as a, the chair of uh, the Wiradjuri region. But I enjoyed it. It gave me so much insight, and I learned a lot from it. And it gave me the confidence to say that I'm ready for running for a councillor uh, post-administration uh, in 2007. So, And, Michelle, I could not stand here today if I didn't become a, a, a involved in my local community as a board of director or a chairperson. M most of my life I've been a chairperson and I've always conducted myself as if I was a chairperson, act like a chairperson would act, do the things that a chairperson would do without having that title alongside you. And so you carry yourself with that sort of uh, level of distinction and um, required as a as a board member anyway, so it gave me the confidence. All of those things uh, kept laying a platform and in 2006 I decided this is what I want to do, I'm ready. I, know I, I knew I was ready 
and when I uh, put my hand up in 2007 to, to run for the election, I think I was 44 years old, so I wasn't a young man, I wasn't an old man, but I, I just knew I was ready. And we each know that, we, uh, uh, and, and sometimes you can be forced into it when you're not quite ready, but everything worked in sequence. And so I say to people that if you're involved in your local Aboriginal Land Council, um, or any board member for that matter, but if you're at your local land council and you're a board member, don't think of it as a dead-end park. It's actually a stepping stone that can take you well beyond there. It can actually take you to many places, at least not of all a, a council of New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council, because it gives you that solid grounding that you need when you're making decisions. And you know, whenever I make decisions, that be the first thing I, I always draw on, what did I do when I was back in my community? That's how I always operate. You have been a deputy chair. You've been the chair of New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council as well. In that time, I know there have been a lot of standouts. Anything, decisions that have been made by council, etc., for communities that you are very proud to discuss? There's been many achievements, I think, of the land rights network, certainly at news work level, but there's also been... Um, many achievements at the local land council level so I've often been asked by previous councillors, been fortunate enough to be a councillor alongside they would always ask what was you know the, the most memorable thing coming out of uh, administration, I know this as a as a former uh, regional representative that a lot of people in my region didn't particularly like Newswork. And so there was very much an us and them uh, attitude. And I, when I first came on board and they said, what would you like to see happen? I said, we've got to change this us and them attitude. And they said, oh, well, it doesn't exist. So I said, well, I'm afraid to tell you that it does because I came from that regional perspective. A lot of people out there are resentful and hurtful about how the uh, uh, amendments that took place in 2005-06, which then came into effect in 2007. So our greatest achievement post-administration was getting the respect of the network back. And we did that with a great deal of care and, 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 and respectfulness back to the network. We didn't went out there pleading for them to come out. We actually went out there and engaged with them and listened to them and brought them back in but not only just the respect of our network which is absolutely critical and vital um, but then we had to get the uh, respect back of government we had to get respect of um, business that wanted to come back and, and deal with Newswork and I, I to this day where we are now uh, in the land rights system could not have been achieved everything is like a stepping stone and for us post administration that was the thing that laid the, the very foundation for us to be in the position we are today which is very uh, encouraging um, and very bright future moving forward for me I, I put that down as being one of the, the greatest achievements others may look at it very differently but I, I look at the small things not, not necessarily the big standout um, uh, uh, features or achievements that others may look at. This is a cuppa and a yarn. 
from the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council. I'm speaking with Councillor Craig Cromlin. To be a chair of an organisation, or councillor at least, making decisions on a statewide level, how do you balance that with your community groundedness? The benefit that I've had is, you know, 30 years um, or 20 years of being a councillor or chairperson in, in my own community. So I, I knew what to expect there. And that's where really the lessons were learnt. Um, and and I, these were lessons by people that uh, didn't even go to school or never even finished school. But some of the smartest people, our elders and their... Um, you know, that were wise people that took the time to say, come here, boy, I've got to tell you this, or come here, boy, I've got to, you know, show you that. And, and, and it was those little uh, small lessons along the way. And I'm grateful and fortunate that I've had that solid grounding coming from community first and then slowly working my way up. I don't have a, a degree in anything, but the education that I've learned and the skills that I've gained are from some of the smartest people. So it, I, I, I just draw on those things that I, I have from my background. That's about it, Michelle. You're stepping into a newer phase, a new phase of your life. It's the same life, but certainly uh, it, it's going to be somewhat different. You're still a member of Murrinbridge Local Aboriginal Land Council, aren't you? So you were mentioning earlier that your, your interest in and your involvement in land rights is going to continue? It took me a long, long time to, for me to accept governance. I didn't look for it. It found me. I remember a couple of aunties when I was 25 pulled me aside. Both of them were ill. Both of them were uh, uh, struck down with cancer. And they were having a, a beer of uh, an afternoon. I was going up to play touch football on a bare, on a bare uh, football oval that we had. Um, we used to play barefooted too, by the way. No grass was on it, it was just bare paddock. Um, and they sang out, come here boy. And I went over there and I was trying to hurry him along, make it look like I was checking my watch and that. They said, no, we need to ask you something. And I said, what's that, Andy? They said, right on. They said, you know we're sick and you know we're, we're dying. I said, um, it sort of changed my attitude. I said, yeah, I do know that. They said, well, right on. This is our home. You know, when we came here, we looked after it. When we die, we want you to promise that you'll keep looking after this community. It felt all of a sudden like this huge weight was about to be dropped onto my shoulder. And I said, Auntie, I'm only young. I said, look, what if I want to go? And I said, no, 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 no. We want you to promise us that you look after this place. I said, well, what if there's older people there that can do this? I'm only a young fellow. They said, no, we want you. So I had to think about all of these, my life in front of me, my young family, that I might have wanted to go somewhere and, um, and, and you know, learn some of the skills to go to university to do something. I said, okay. Okay, I'll do it. And they said, good, now go and play touch football. Mm. And they were sitting there having a drink. And they, these old girls used to speak in their lingo, speak it fluently. And I never told anyone. Never told my mum, never told my partner, none of my brothers or sisters, aunties, uncle. Never told anyone. It was a promise I made 
to two old ladies. And I'm glad I did. You know, I, um, I pulled out a photo of myself when I was 21. And, uh, you know, it was tough back then because all of a sudden I was doing things that other, you know, my mates were walking around and um, enjoying their life free, no commitments, no nothing. I couldn't follow them because I had a meeting to go to. I had someone come into the community to talk to us. And, and you know, when I pulled out that photo of that 21-year-old fellow, and I actually said thank you to him. Seems a little bit um, weird, but I, I did. I, I said thank you. I said because if it wasn't for you having the commitment and the courage to do those things um, and your heart in the right place, I would never have had the opportunity, the wonderful opportunities to do the things that I have done, fortunate enough to do. You know, go to the United Nations, whether it's Geneva or New York, or visit the many wonderful communities that I have through the land rights system and meet so many fantastic and inspiring people in my journey and it's all thanks to that young guy heaven and it's you know someone said to me what's the, the best quality you should have as a, a, a as a board member and i just say courage courage to do it in the first place the courage to make tough decisions when others won't do it um the courage to do the right thing where it's easy to just go along with the the normal uh, flow and I'm very fortunate, but I was guided by some um, inspiring elders back in them days, and I'm f very fortunate to have listened to them. You're listening to A Cuppa and a Yarn. Don't forget, November 30 is election day for the New South Wales Land Rights Network. You can lodge a postal vote or go to a polling booth on the day. Head over to the website at alc.org.au for more details. This is a cuppa and a yarn from the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council. I'm Michelle Alexandrovix Lovegrove. I'm speaking with uh, Craig Cromlin, councillor, our former chair, deputy chair, and a man who's um, been inspired and acted on the advice of his elders over many years and um, very, very humble and grateful from what I'm gathering from our conversation to be able to have worked in governance for such a long period of time. I think when those aunties spoke with you, you were already actually on the way there. You just didn't have a title. And, and that's why I always say um, to people, you know, sometimes we're made as leaders, sometimes we're born. And um, this thing followed me. I, I just had to accept it, and I've accepted it now for the last you know, um, 20 years. It's what I do and what I do well. But it doesn't mean I get... Um, too big-headed about it. I've remained humble, and they're all the lessons that I've learned from those people that I've come in touch with over the years. For people who don't know Craig Cromlin, you may not know this. For people who know him, you definitely will. You take photos of animals, of birds you love. Uh, a lot of macro work, you know, close-ups on flowers, and, and and all sorts of interesting patterns and. Can you talk to us a little bit about, about your photography? Because um, if you haven't seen his work, anybody, go, go to Instagram. You're on Instagram, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, photography is something that I've began to enjoy more and more. Um, 
it's like anything. You get into it, you fall into it, uh, you do it for the, the right reasons, and um, once you uh, discover uh, how to bring the best out of anything, out of yourself, you then want to learn more about it. Um, and initially I got into it because I used to like sending good morning messages to people and I used to actually download good morning messages from the internet. And someone said, why are you doing that? And I said, oh, I want to just send good morning messages to people. Um, and he said, still well, does that, by yeah, the way. Why don't you take <laughs> your own photos? And I said, oh, can I do that? And I said, but how do I write on it? So they were teaching me things about downloading apps and, and then putting my own messages onto the phone. And so that became something that I, I thoroughly enjoyed. But then a situation happened where my second brother uh, was faced with that mongrel of a thing, cancer. Um, and there were two things that happened during his last month alive and one of them was he we weren't allowed to allow him to get sick or anything we had to protect him keep him anyone that was sick we had to stay away from him and that sort of stuff and he wanted to go outside it was winter time and he wanted to he, he bossed his missus said take me outside i want to go outside he was in wheelchair so he couldn't walk at this time so we pushed him out the back and there was a, a sunset and i didn't really take much notice to it you know, it's a sunset. And then, you know, so we stayed out there for about you know, three or four minutes, back inside. And the other time was he, he did the same thing, take me outside, I want to go outside. So we took him outside, after, you know, despite our protests. He went out there and he just closed his eyes because there was a nice cool breeze blowing. And I, again, I thought nothing of it. And then I asked myself the question, why would he want to go outside and look at a sunset? Why would he want to feel the breeze? Why would a dying, and then it wasn't till I sort of came to that conclusion that he wanted to take something with him to the other side of the world, and what perfect thing to take with you than a sunset and the wind? Who would have thought that that's something that you would want to take? Just remember that and take to you with you the other side, and and so my message from him, I guess, without him telling me, was that. Enjoy the simple things in life while you can before your time is up. And so I've been taking pictures of the most mundane things in our life, flowers, um, butterflies, um, ants, um, dragonflies, snakes. I'll, I'll, I'll get you down in snakes. front of a snake. I took, I was seven metres from a, a, a king brown the other day, or they call it a mulgus snake. Um, I, I've learnt... I, I used to be absolutely fearful of them, but now I don't because a friend told me once that photography captures what the eye misses. And there's a beauty in that and everything that we have out there. We just have to stop. And photography, you just can't rush these things. You know that yourself, myself. You have to have time. And sometimes I'll sit for hours or two hours to capture an image, one image. And it might be a bird, it might be a goanna, or a gukar as we call it, uh, or, a, or a snake. And it doesn't matter whether it's a deadly one, and I won't ever put myself at risk, but they're there. there's beauty in everything. And I've only just now started to learn how to capture people, I guess. I'm comfortable with birds and animals and 
sceneries. I'm now getting comfortable with capturing people in the right light. But everything is about having the time. You need time to do it. And you might learn something new that you didn't know about them the day before. And I've been learning heaps of things. So you now are moving into a, a different time for yourself. So looking back, you work in land rights, which doesn't necessarily, is not going to stop, it's just going to change. Any sort of pearls of wisdom or thoughts for, for upcoming leaders, for how the network's going to go, for the good qualities of a leader that you might care to share? Um, I, I guess just, uh, and people always told me when I was at the region, they said to me, make sure you don't forget where you come from. And I said, well, I never do that. Look, when I first became a councillor, I thought what I knew um, prior to that was sufficient. I had to absolutely readjust because I, I thought to myself, holy, what have I got myself into here? This is significant at, at the highest. It, it is. I mean, whatever you do at, at your local level, times it by probably 1,000 or 10,000. That's how serious it is. That's how significant this job is. It's not a backyard operation. It's a pretty high-level uh, organisation that operates at the highest level uh, um, and it will not lower its standards. You have to rise to the level. Thank goodness for my grounding uh, at the local level and many people will come into the elections with having that uh, uh, level of uh, um, uh, sure footing from the local level. So a lot of other things that I'll, I'll probably keep to myself and help to use to guide myself in my next stage of life and I'm looking forward to it. Michelle, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because I am the uh, master of my own destiny and I, that's something that I'll never change and I'll always be that but I'm forever grateful. Can I say Thank you to everyone that's been in the land rights network that I've come across. Thank you for making me welcome. If I get to catch up with you at some time, I'd love to have a cuppa or a, a yarn. And a yarn, mm -hmm. like I am now. Um, I've always been a, a rather uh, humble person, and I'll never change that. And so thank you to everyone out there for the opportunity I've had to be a councillor of uh, the most significant Aboriginal organisation in this country, New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council. You can do Nayaniya Baraya, Nayaniya Mananiya, Mananiya, Mananiya.